The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right, well, if you're waiting for a Christmas sermon, today's not your day. We did Christmas for like two months, right? We were in the, the book of Luke, right? But if you do want a Christmas, you're like, well, I want a Christmas sermon. It's December. This is when Jesus is born. Probably not. But you can come to Christmas Eve service, right? We're going to gather here, uh, I think, 6 o'clock. Is that accurate? Yeah, 6 o'clock. Come, bring your friends, bring your family. It will be a great celebration of Jesus Christ coming to seek and save those who are lost. And by the way, we thought long and hard, should we have two services? Should we do this? Should we do that? We did not want to split up the church service. We didn't want to split up the, the church, really. We didn't want people coming on one service, and other people coming on second, and all the things. So we're going to have one. And we might be full, because last year, we didn't have near as many friends. We didn't have near as many people as part of For the City Church, and we were full, right? So we're willing to do whatever it takes. If that means we take out a few rows and we have standing room only, I have commitments from at least 30 people who said they'd be willing to do that, right? Um, so here's what I'm telling you. Come. Come. This is the time of year where you invite people who don't love Jesus, and they almost always culturally feel like they should go do something for the Lord. So I'll pay them a little due, and I'll come on Christmas Eve. Take advantage of that. Just take advantage of that and invite them. Invite them. Tell them you'll give them cookies afterwards, right? And hot cocoa. <laughs> but, you know, get, just bring them. Bring them here. Why here? Because they're going to hear the gospel and they're going to be confronted with this good news. And we're going to pray that that day would be the day of salvation, that they would come to faith in Christ, right? So, okay, that's enough. That's second introduction. Let's get to the sermon. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, and I hope you were, but if you weren't, that's okay. Uh, you know that Jesus was teaching. He was preaching. Everyone was crowding in on him. They wanted to hear the word of God. And as that was happening and as the word was going out, Jesus took the opportunity to do a little, let's say a little illustration, a little teaching moment. He jumps in the boat. He says, hey, Peter, push off from land a little bit. Need a little space. They're crowding me out. Need a little amplification. And he's still teaching and he's still preaching. But now he says, hey, take those nets just throw them off the side. And they're like, oh, come on, man. We've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. But hey, at your word, I'll do this thing. And if you remember, it was like, like breaking nets, sinking boats. And they were amazed at the catch of fish. But what happened in that moment is Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, follow me. And Peter left everything. He left his boats. He left his nets. He left, he left the people that were there working, although two of them went with him. He left it all behind because he had seen true treasure. And, and he followed him. And now Jesus has at least, there's probably more, three men. Peter, James, John, and they're following him. And, and what I want you to see as we continue through the book of Luke, starting now specifically, is they're going to watch Jesus work. They're going to watch what he does. They're going to watch how he teaches the word. They're going to watch how he heals people, how he, he confronts people. <gasps> Not my Jesus. Well, the Jesus of the Bible does. And, and they're going to witness all these different things. And what he's doing in that moment is he's teaching them and they're being discipled. They're learning what it means to be a Christ follower. They're learning what it means to be fisher of men. They're learning really apprenticeship. That's what they're learning, right? Jesus does, and he says, now watch me do it. And then here soon, he's going to send them out. And he says, now you go do it. Uh, we haven't been to rabbi school. It's okay. Go. <laughs> go ahead and go. 
and they're going to do it. And they're going to be very excited about some of the things that happen. And he's going to say, you're, you're majoring on the wrong things. You're really excited about the wrong things. Let me be telling you right now what you should be excited about. You ought to be excited that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You ought to be excited that you're his. <laughs> Not, so being always has to come before doing. But doing matters. And that's what he's going to show them as we start now. Okay? So, quick question for you. I want you to think about it. Have you ever been desperate? I know you have. You may be desperate now. Um, as a kid, I was always desperate for the newest toy. Ask, well, you can't ask my mom. She's with the Lord. Um, but I was always very excited, always very desperate. Please, mom, I just, I just have to have this. I need this. If I don't have this, I'll die. Right? And she's like, you will not die. But she always bought it because she was a sucker. And she was sweet. My dad was always like, why did you do this? You're creating a monster. And she did. As a, as a teenager, very insecure teenager, I was desperate, right? I wanted girls to think I was handsome. Right? I did. Yeah, you, I dressed up. I wore way too much cologne. I didn't wear that junky stuff like Axe and stuff. I mean, I went and I saved money and I bought good cologne, but I put way too much on. No one ever taught me how to do this thing, right? But I was desperate for love, right? Or what I would call love, right? Uh, as a young man uh, who had 18 broken bones, I was desperate to walk. Uh, it took a year. I was desperate to be healed. I was very desperate, all right? Uh, as an adult man, I find myself desperate often, longing for, for people who I love to come to know the, the saving grace of Christ, right? Uh, and, and then I find myself desperate in just a lot of other ways, too. Well, today we're, we're actually going to meet some desperate people, some very desperate people, right? So we're going to start in Luke 5, 12, all right? Let's look. So while he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man... Notice it says, full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. Right? This is a, it's a posture of, I am desperate. He falls on his face and he begged him. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice the language. I mean, this is a picture of desperation, right? Dr. Luke records that there's a man who's full of leprosy. He's approaching Jesus Christ, and he falls on his face. He's, I need you. I need help. I need healing. I need cleansing. And he's begging him, make me clean. Now, now you and I can hardly imagine the shame and actually the isolation of a leper's life, right? How many people here know a leper? I don't either. They actually still exist. Listen, you should go not before you eat, probably not right after you eat. Sometime today when your stomach feels healthy and look up lepers and then touch image on your Google thing. I think, I think you'll, you'll, you'll understand the desperation that this man who's full of leprosy is feeling. It's a horrible thing. Um, it, it's, it's so horrible that at times parts of your body would fall off. You might be missing a nose right? Don't think of skin tags. Think, think, I don't know why I always talk about zombies. Think about zombies, <laughs> right? It, it's, a, it's a walking death sentence. But, but here's the thing. If that's not bad enough, 
it gets worse because the biblical background for understanding the condition of leprosy is actually found in Leviticus 13 and 14. Read that on your own time. I actually recommend you do. But in short, leprosy was a skin disease. But worse yet, in that time, it was believed that you, when you had contact, you know, contracted this disease, that you did so because of some great personal sin. Now, we have accounts throughout the Bible where that was the case right? Someone had done something to offend God and they were struck with leprosy. But not every case was that the case. But in this society, if you had leprosy, you were out. So imagine the fear. Imagine the shame. Imagine specifically the fear that would creep in if you start noticing some some little irritations on your skin, right? You start to notice and you're like, oh man, I hope that's not it. I hope that thing goes away. But now it's starting to spread. And you're starting to think, I'm infected. And now you've got to go to the priest in order to be inspected. And now the, the fate of your life is in that person's hand as they say, no, I think you're fine. You got a little rash. It's cool. Go back. Or no, there's something wrong here. You're out. Out what? What do you mean out? You're out of the community, right? Because if the priest confirmed that indeed you were unclean, here's what they would prescribe. Listen to this. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. So, all right, you showed up, you're unclean. Here's what the priest says. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes. Sounds like teenagers, right? And let their hair hang loose. Sounds like teenagers. (laughs) Shall cover their upper lip and cry out, unclean unclean. Now just picture, that doesn't sound like teenagers. By the way, I love teenagers. I'm just having a little fun. Imagine this though. You didn't want the, the, the they didn't have masks, right? They, they couldn't do the whole pandemic deal, but they're, they're covering it up. They're wearing torn clothes so you can visually see something's wrong. They're letting their hair just hang and be nappy so you can visually see something's wrong because they want you to see they're unclean, but just in case you weren't real sure, unclean, unclean, unclean. Man, I don't know about you, but during the pandemic, I felt like that if I would cough out and about. Like, <laughs> like unclean! They, they would like point at you and freak out. Get out of here. They, they got their little COVID sticks ready to hit you. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. Because of fear. Because of fear. And this is what this person would experience. That's why it's a death sentence, right? This man would have had to have lived by himself, maybe with a colony of other lepers, maybe. But, but no coming to the synagogue, no joining friends and family for the feast at the fire engine one, whatever it's called. No, no, no public worship, no cappuccinos at the white rabbit, right? No, no hugs from his kids or his wife, right? This man was truly a dead man walking. He he would have been cut off from all human contact because at that time it was actually thought that you would actually make others unclean if you came in contact with them. It was more than just about disease. See, don't, don't miss this. Isolating the leper was not about making sure that the disease didn't spread. It's about making sure that the impurity didn't spread. That's why he says clean, not, not heal. He said, he's saying clean me. Cleanse me, Jesus. He's not saying heal me. The, the disease is a, is a consequence of being unclean. So they removed him 
to make sure, or her, women would have this happen, remove them to make sure you and your sin don't infect this people. You're doing something. So there's just, just shame. It's just, I mean, it would be horrible. As a matter of fact, people would go to great lengths to make sure that they did not come in contact with the unclean sinner. Um, as a matter of fact, they would, they would, it was said that they would carry rocks. And if you got too close, they would pelt you with rocks to make sure you stayed your distance, right? Because they didn't want to come in contact. So you, can you imagine? I'm trying to paint a scene because you need to see how amazing grace is. But if you don't think about it enough, you'll just think it's just okay. Of course, Jesus would forgive me and cleanse me because I'm pretty awesome. This is a picture of us. You're unclean. I'm unclean. And now this, this leper is, is approaching Jesus. It's a scandalous moment because he's going towards somebody. He's not allowed to do that, but he's desperate. He needs to be cleansed. He does not question, notice, by the way, whether Jesus is able to heal him. He doesn't question that at all. He, but he's unsure whether Jesus will. See that? It's right in the text. He's wondering, will Jesus reject me like everyone else has rejected me? Why? Because he's an unclean outcast. Notice Jesus, verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched him. He touched him. And he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I don't know what that would have looked like. Would have, if he had little nubs, would have they grown back? If his nose had dropped off four miles back, would he have got a new nose? I don't know. He, chances are his eyebrows were probably gone because of the skin disease. Did they grow back? My guess is yes. He would have looked whole. He would have looked clean because he was clean. What a beautiful picture. It's the first point, by the way. Jesus is compassionate and powerful enough to cleanse even the worst of unclean sinners. Oh, that's great news. It's great news, unless you think you're not that bad. I would say you're worse than you even understand yourself to be, and you're like, no, I think I'm pretty bad. You're worse when you, when you stare and, and, and look at a holy God. You realize, I'm, I'm actually in greater danger than I'd ever realized. See, Jesus reaches out and touches him. Allow yourself to imagine the tenderness of this moment. Allow yourself. Don't shove tons of things. But I don't think that's shoving anything in. If you can't feel that with emotions, something's wrong. This man has, when's the last time? He's full of leprosy, by the way. That doesn't happen overnight. That takes time. Months, years, I have no clue. When's the last time someone has, has just touched him? I don't know. I have no clue. But I'll tell you right now, it's probably the greatest touch. Not removed probably. was the greatest touch he had ever experienced in his entire life. But it's not just because of healing. It's because you and I are made for, for contact. For contact. You ever receive a hug from someone you know loves you? Man, does that just have the power to just increase joy in your life? Someone in a, in a moment when you're just wrecked, reaches over and just holds your hand. Doesn't say anything. They just give you the gift of presence. <laughs> they just let you know you're not alone. This is what God's doing here. And it's beautiful. Jesus compassionately touches the leper. And, and notice, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the leper becomes clean. This is what it, this is what it means to come to Christ. 
By the way, this, this is such a picture of the gospel. I almost stopped at the leper. We might never get to the other guys, right? But I thought, no, we've got to include these. We're going to be in Luke till Jesus returns. Maybe he'll return today. I have no clue. Uh, but this is, this is a picture of the gospel. Jesus replaces our spiritual disease, which is really represented by the leper's disease, right? With his own spiritual life. He cleanses him. He cleanses him. This is the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This is called the great exchange. At the cross, Jesus took the full extent of our uncleanness onto himself. And our uncleanness is, is our sin, our rebellion against God. Every time we don't want to do as God has lovingly prescribed, and we just, we harden our heart, we stiffen our neck, and we say, no, I will not do what you want me to do. I will do what I want to do. I will worship creation. I have no desire for you, Mr. Creator. I want your toys, not you. That's sin. It's rebellion. And that leads to all kinds of just evil. Just look around the world. If I have to convince you, come out from under your rock. Spend some time with yourself. But Jesus, God doesn't leave us there. In his kindness, Jesus comes and he, he receives our sin. He takes it upon himself. And in doing so, those who trust in him in faith, he gives us his righteousness, his cleanness, his perfect life. We, we don't deserve it. It's, it's the great exchange. It's a gift. It's grace. How do you receive it? By faith. I, just, I trust you. I got no other chance. I'm a desperate, unclean sinner I have no hope of heaven. I have no hope of ever spending not even a moment with you, let alone eternity with you. And God says, but I have done all that it takes to make it so you can come into my family. Will you trust my son? Will you believe in him? See, all of us have offended a perfectly holy God. But this is the, this is the good news here. Ready? That's not good news, by the way. But none of us is beyond God's love. None of us is beyond God's saving grace. None of us are beyond Christ's redemptive work in your life. No matter where you're at right now, you're not too far as long as you have a pulse. Today could be the day that you receive grace for the first time. Some of you may have been around religion so much you think you're saved. You're not. You just show up to church and you do good things. But a lot of that's just cultural America stuff, but it's going away, by the way. See, see to actually come to salvation is to... to to understand, I am unclean. Jesus, save the sinner like me. And, and you believe. I need you. What do you do? You just receive him. It's faith. You believe, right? We, we contribute sin to this deal. We, can, we contribute our failures. We contribute our, our guilt, our shame, and Christ comes and he exchanges them for forgiveness, for joy, for Christ's righteousness. And it leads to eternal life. It's beautiful. Well, he continues. So this is a great day for this leper. It's a great day. 
Because not only is he in in an instant, he's restored, he's cleansed, he's healed. He gets to go now and be with his family. Oh, not so quick. Because look at verse 14. Jesus charged him to tell no one. (laughs) Could you imagine? It's going to be hard to kind of keep this under wraps, Jesus. My nose was back there. Um, (laughs) I I don't know. You know, like this hair, it probably wasn't even nappy. He probably went to comrades and got a little buzz cut. Um, He said, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded a proof for them, for, for them. For them. Hmm. Okay, well, apparently there's some paperwork involved, right? Uh, it's what it meant to be Jewish in that time. This man could not run home and feel the warm embrace of his loved ones. Think about that. That's, I mean, the first, the first thing you'd want to do is just go home, hopefully. Maybe some of you wouldn't. Some of you have had such a, a horrible home life, you wouldn't want to go home. But there's, hopefully there's somebody who loves you that you'd want to go and just hug and be hugged, and sit down, and enjoy. And that time will come. But Jesus commands him to silence, and he tells him, go and show yourself to the priest. Make an offering for your cleansing. By the way, all this is spelled out in Leviticus 14. You can read that. But here's the deal. This is a uniquely joyful ceremony that's about to happen for this man. It's going to last over eight days. See, Jews really know how to party, believe it or not. I had been to Israel, and they love to party. They love to celebrate. They are loud. Man, and the guys dance. Not like, you know, like the, the, the little dance, this little dance. Hope some girl comes up and, like, rubs up on I'm not talking that. I'm talking they celebrate. You ever watch Lord of the Rings, and they got the horn, and they're like, I'm talking that. It's time to worship Jesus. Very masculine. Very masculine. I love it. I, man, I love it. I love that culture. I, am, I, my, the, I don't match American male culture mostly. I just want, we need to be a little louder, but in the right ways. Not arrogant, not boisterous, like look at me, but just celebrate. So hopefully God will just keep redeeming our minds and helping us to celebrate appropriately and properly all that God has given us, right? That's a side note. That was free. This is all free, by the way. <laughs> but it would last for eight days. Eight days, right? And and I want to read to you uh, what this might look like. So this is a quote from some pointy-headed smart person. Who cares? Ready? It began when a priest met the would-be celebrant outside the camp and verified that he was actually healed. Then, still outside the camp, two birds were presented along with some cedar wood. This gets a little strange. Scarlet yarn and hyssop, right? One of the birds was killed in a clay pot so that none of its blood would be lost. This was done above fresh water, symbolic of cleansing. Next, the live bird, along with the wood, yarn, and hyssop, was dipped in the blood, and the blood was sprinkled upon the leper seven times as he was pronounced clean. This initial ceremony concluded with the live bird being released into the open field to wing its way to freedom, right? As a result... The blood-sprinkled person could once again join the community. This foreshadowed the effect of Christ's blood, which reconciles God to man and man to God. It makes it possible for us, sinner, to join the household of faith. After the bird's release, the cleansed man would wash his clothing, shave the hair from his body, bathe, and enter the camp, where he, his family, and friends rejoiced for seven days. 
On the seventh day, his head, his eyebrows, and beard were shaved. And he again bathed so that like a newborn, he was ready to enter a new phase of his existence. On, we're almost done. Hang in there. On, uh, what? The former leper offended, okay, okay, here we go. Offered three unblemished lambs as a guilt offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering. The guilt offering was not an atoning sacrifice, but restitution for the offerings and sacrifice that he was unable to make while a leper because he couldn't worship in that way. His restitution and fresh commitment were then dramatically emphasized when the priest took some of the blood and smeared it, listen, on the offerer's right ear, their thumb, and their big toe. And coated, this is, could you imagine this? Then coated each smear, then he coated each smear with a second anointing of oil, symbolizing that the man, now listen, this is beautiful, would listen to God's voice, use his hands for God's glory, and walk in God's ways. It's a foreshadow of being born again. Right? It's, it's a picture of, of, of coming to faith, of being born again. By the way, if you're in Christ, that's happened to you. I'm not saying you have blood on your big toe. What I'm saying is that that imagery happened in a stunning spiritual reality. You, you were born again. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You've been born again. That's what it, you know, I've had people say, are you one of them born again Christians? I'm like, that's all there is. And they, they generally say it like this. Are you one of them there born again Christians? I don't know why they say it like that. But if you're in Christ, you are a born again Christian. And, and listen, in John 3, Nicodemus, he was a teacher of the law. This is why I say you can be around church stuff your whole life and not understand Christ. And Jesus says, Nick, come on, man. Have you been a teacher of the law so long that you don't even understand? You, you must be born again. And Nicodemus looks at Jesus and he says, oh, it's going to be a little bit strange for me and mom. Like, do I got to enter a second time? He literally says that. I'm adding a little color to it. But, but he says, do, he goes, oh, you don't get it. The spirit. And then he starts talking about the spirit. But what he's saying is, no, you are born spiritually dead. You are born spiritually dead. I am born spiritually dead. We are unclean. And he's saying, you must be born again. You must be cleansed. The old has passed away. You must be made alive, alive to God. You must be born again. And this is the gospel. Imagine the joy of this healed man and his family. In this community celebration, would have loved to have been there. Love celebrating. It would have happened for eight days. Gosh. There, there would have been feasting. There would have been singing. Oh, they like to sing. Chanting, reading scripture, praising God long into the night. And what a witness of grace this would have been for the people looking around. Hmm. Is right. May we have that kind of witness, that kind of aroma in this city. May we understand rightly the gospel. May we be of utmost cheer and joy. Not happy, slappy. Hey, everything's awesome. Sometimes everything's not awesome. But I've been cleansed. I've received amazing grace. Oh, we got to be the most hope-filled people ever. Okay. This story continues. Okay, verse 15. But now even more the report about him went abroad. I bet it did. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. 
He knew where his power came from, by the way. His power came from the Father and the Spirit. He li- Jesus, fully God, fully man, live a Spirit-filled life. And he was, he was always communicating with the Father. But there were times where the more he would minister, the more drained he would be. Ministers, listen, serving, ministry, and I don't mean this primarily. I mean rolling up your sleeves and getting into the trenches with somebody. Because believe it or not, ready for a newsflash? This is not how churches teach it. You're all gospel ministers. (gasps) We have have tears. We have professional gospel ministries. We have ministry schools, and you can do the whole little thing. No, you come to Christ. You are a minister of the gospel gospel period the question becomes is are you effective are you are you have you been equipped do you even know you're in the game or do you think everyone else is to serve you when you show up this is not christianity this is not biblical christianity at all jesus has cleansed me i got good news for you he'll cleanse you I got good news for you. Jesus loves me. I got good news for you. Jesus loves you. Oh, he couldn't love me. No, he does. Why? Because he loves sinners. You, you apply. You fit. You're, you're good. Not really. Not really. Let's make sure I back up. You're a sinner, but you, you apply. Why? Because he loves sinners. And you fit that mold. I've hung out with you. Would you ever say that? I don't know. I would. I have. It's good news. It's good news. Or do you teach that, that no, we've got to get some behavior things figured out, and then maybe Jesus will receive you? It's not good news. That's garbage. Well, Jesus told the man to be silent. Was he? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he went about skipping, and everybody said, hey, your nose is back on. And then it just spread that way. Maybe it was probably through the celebration. That's my guess. Through the celebration, now the report goes out. But whatever it is, Jesus, they're coming to him left and right. He's healing, but now he needs to remove himself. I need to pray. Can I just tell you something? The more you pour out, the more you better take the time to fill up. Because eventually you'll get to the bottom, and all you're going to have is yourself. And I can just tell you right now, that's not sufficient. See, in gospel ministry, get this, you need Christ to serve you. You don't serve God. Not really. This has, I'm way off my notes. We may not get to the other people. I have my next week's sermon written then. <laughs> you don't serve God. You're like, yes, I do. You really don't. You, you, you really don't. God serves you. You are the needy one. God doesn't need anything from you. As though he's like, you know, some insecure teenage boy. He doesn't need that from you. Now, do we serve God? Yes, as an overflow of worship. It's, it's not like Uncle Sam, right? See if you qualify and he'll put you in. Man, all it takes to qualify here is just be desperate. Just, I'm desperate. <laughs> what a, I, I got nothing for you, Jesus. He's like, okay, I'll take that. I'll work with that. And he just brings you in. He cleans you up. And he says, now go tell people my love. Go tell them. Receive it. Now tell be, then do. Oh, but many times we don't, we don't do that. Well, end side note, let's keep going. Look at verse 17. New story. We'll go through this one pretty quick. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers dun, 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 of the law were sitting there. 
who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, all my drama-loving friends, who are you, by the way? All, all of you. You all love drama. You do. That's why TikTok and all the things are really popular, right? Um, I love drama. I don't love it in my life. I like it on my TV. Um, I, I love British crime dramas. It's my favorite, right? Um, but you're about to get some drama, right? And, and here's why. Because we're about to enter a section of Scripture in Luke. We could title it Jesus and His Haters. He's got some haters, right? And, and who are they? Pharisees, scribes. And they show up, and you can just imagine them. They got their clipboards, they got their big hats, they got their big robes, they got pencils, number two probably, right? And they're sitting there, and they're right in the front row, and Jesus is teaching, and they're taking notes. Oh, I don't like how he said that. I wonder if he ever went to, like, you know, school, and where did he learn that? Hmm, isn't this Joseph's son? And they're, you know, tilling it all down. You know, we don't know why, but however, there's a good chance. Um, they're there because he's eroding their fan club. <laughs> Could you imagine? Right? Like, come listen to me. Now I heard about this guy, Jesus. And like, if you go to him, he gives you, it's like sham wow. But wait, there's more, right? Um, he'll teach. And then all of a sudden, like lepers get healed. And like, you know, it's just, it's pretty amazing, bro. You should actually come with me and hear this guy. Like, no, you have been my student for 18 years. No, you, no I don't actually want to stick with you. This guy's like the real deal. His teaching has authority. And they're hearing about it, and all their people are kind of walking away. And they're following this other guy. And he didn't go to the right rabbi school, right? He didn't go to seminary. Why are they with him? Let's go look. And they go. And they want to know what's going on here. See, Pharisees, by the way, by the way, don't hate the haters. Don't, they, they are haters, most of them. Not all of them, by the way. Many Pharisees who come to faith in Christ and be a big part of what God did in the book of Acts to plant churches. But Pharisees were lay persons, mostly not priests, okay? Um, they were interested in the practical, let's say, outworking or understanding of Scripture, right? Uh, and, and what they wanted to do was enable the, the, the community, God's people, to, to be faithful to the covenant of God, okay? And that's actually a good deal. They, they took seriously God's demands upon Israel to be holy or to be set apart, to follow the rules, right? And, and what they wanted to do is make sure that we never broke the law. So they wanted to make sure that we did everything that was pretty attainable though in everyday life. So they would start creating rules on top of rules on top of rules to make sure you didn't break the law, okay? I, I would say that their desires was good, but they got way off whack. They loved rules, they didn't necessarily love people, right? And Jesus knows it. Why? Because he knows all. Look at verse 18 and 19. So there he is. He's teaching. I want you to picture it. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. So once again, Jesus is teaching. People were there. They went up to the roof. And they let him down with his bed through the tiles into their midst before Jesus. Now, this is a wild scene. You should really try to picture it, right? This is some determination, right? You, you got a buddy. He's, he's paralyzed probably most of his life. If not, I don't know. Actually, I don't know how long. But they are undeterred. They heard about this man, Jesus, and healing that's all happening. So they carry their friend 
to the house, but they can't get in. Why? Because everybody wants front row seat to Jesus. And you can imagine the Pharisees are probably right up front and the people of the law and the scribes and there they are. And they're like, we're getting, we have done this. They're sweating profusely. I could almost imagine that, right? And they're like, we're going to get our friend to Jesus. We didn't, we ain't going home until this thing happens. So they go up to the roof and they just start ripping shingles off. Not really shingles, right? Back then, you would have had like a couple wooden beams. You would have had some, you know, branches, palm branches, and then you would have had mud packed on, right? But they're just digging. Jesus is teaching in the house. He's probably got some plaster falling on his head. And, and the Pharisees are like, whoa, what's happening here? And all the crowds are starting to see it. And all of a sudden, Jesus kind of looks up. Wouldn't have been this high of a ceiling. But here comes a dude on a bed. <laughs> so what happened? What's, what's, what's happening? The, the friends demonstrate a tenacious faith. A tenacious faith. I want friends like this. I think I have some like this. Determined. I mean, their faith would have been in, I mean, people would have been in awe of it. Probably not the homeowner. Probably didn't appreciate that. But, but everyone there would have, you would love to have people like this in your corner. I've got to get my friend to Jesus. Because I know if we do, he's going to be healed right? Look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, how do you see faith? Trust, right? This is this little black seat, right? I believe that this seat will hold me. I do. Oh, he has faith. Maybe, maybe. I really do believe it will hold me. I know I got this thing. I probably broke our little microphone. We'll get a new one. Um, Did it hold me? Yes. Yeah. Did, did I have faith? Yeah. How do you know? Because I sat in the chair. So, so they saw his faith. I didn't push it any further because I didn't want to hit anybody with the chair. They saw it. They see it. He's for real. These guys, they're bring, their faith, not just the paralytic, they're the friends. This is a wild scene. See, Jesus saw their faith, not their mess. There's mess everywhere. There's plaster, there's mud, there's this. There's a hole in a roof now. And, and, and people are a little bit scandalized and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Jesus saw their faith. That's not all that he had seen though. Jesus actually had seen something much deeper in that moment. He, he saw their, his greatest need. See it? He sees the real need behind the obvious need. He says, man... Your sins are forgiven. Why did he go there? I don't, think, I don't think it's hard to figure out, right? This had to be a little unsettling for him, right? Because they didn't come to get sins forgiven. They came to get their friend who's paralyzed healed. We don't want to carry him back. Even if his sins are forgiven, could you fix his legs? I mean, fix his spine. Do something, right? But, but Jesus, man, he's picking a fight. And he knows it. He understands the room, and he's picking a fight. He understands what he's doing in that moment. And notice verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, I don't know how they said it. Here's how I imagine. Hmm, who is this that speaks blasphemies? That's how I picture it. Who can forgive sins but God alone? It's a good question. 
See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they understand the implications of Jesus' statement. They understand. They're picking up what he's laying down, right? They know that only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus' words to this paralyzed man are, are essentially, they would absolutely amount to blasphemy if, if Christ is not God. See, blasphemy just it basically refers to mocking or reviling. So if I were to just walk around here pretending I'm a priest, you know, doing my hand notion and saying, your sins are forgiven you, that's blasphemy. Because I have no power to forgive your sins. I have no power, right? That would be blasphemy. Jesus, in doing this, is claiming a privilege that only belongs to God. <laughs> well, that's true. And in a sense, they are correct, right? Because God is the only one who can forgive sins. But what they don't understand, and what no one in that moment understood, is that Jesus is God in the flesh, come to dwell among humans. Look at, let's continue, 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, <laughs> would you like to hang out with him? Whew, I, very, I struggle to go from thought to not talk quick. I'm quick with my tongue. It gets me in trouble. But Man, if I got, if everybody had a DVD, what is that? Uh, uh, you know, in the cloud, you could see my thoughts for a day. That would be bad. That would be bad. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the kindest guy in the world. Like, that's so stupid. Why would they do that? Right? Those thoughts just come to my head. They don't always come out my mouth. Thank God. Thank you. Right? But... They, Jesus can perceive their thinking, and he answered them. They didn't, he didn't even ask the question. Said, Why do you question in your hearts? <laughs> Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or rise and walk? I love this question. Jesus asked them why they're thinking what they're thinking. And they're like, how did you know? They had to be like that, right? And, and then it's as though he's saying, look, I'm not here to play your religious games. Let's get to it, boys. And he puts them in check in that moment, and he exposes their secret of their heart, and he says with a question, which is easier? Okay, ready guys? You guys are the smart ones. You got the big hats, number two pencils. Your sins are forgiven you, okay? Which one's easier? Or to say, rise and walk. I love the question. Think about it. Technically, it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you. Technically. And I'll tell you why. Because it can't be proven or disproven in that moment. Not really, but if someone says, get up and walk, and they don't get up and walk, well, there you go, gigs up. But this would have been quite a scene, right? Jesus would, would be proved to be God in the flesh, or he would be proved to be a blasphemer. So it's a pretty big moment, who claimed to have authority. And it's as though Jesus was saying, you can't see sins being forgiven, but what you can see is if I say something, it happens. So... He continues, look at verse 24. But, notice he says, that you may know. So that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them. He picked up what had been he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. <sighs> Point two. <laughs> it's funny. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. 
He has authority to forgive sins. See, the truth is in the face of the Pharisees and the teachers right there. They are, they are actually the ones who are being exposed as the ones who are really paralyzed. Oh, yeah, their legs work. But they got no faith. They got no faith. They're paralyzed. Physically, not so much. Spiritually, it's worse than paralyzed. They're dead. And they sit there and they watch all this unfold. They never get up to actually help these people get this man to Jesus. They just sit there with their smug little look, number two pencils, big hats. And they say, what a wretched people. Come on, Jesus, do some dog and pony tricks for us. They don't get up to give their seat up. They sit there and they judge everything that's happened. And they're saying, basically, you know, we're the important people here. That's not, that's not a minister of Christ. It's not a minister of Christ. You get low. See, the way up is the way down. Jesus is going to just keep saying this over and over and over. However, don't miss the main point of the, this, this narrative. The main point is, listen, Jesus has authority to forgive your sins, my sins, your friend's sins, your family's sins, your enemy's sins. And he loves to do it. We must believe that Jesus can forgive our sins. That he can make us clean. That true and ultimate full healing will come when Jesus returns or we go to be with him. Jesus offers a complete, absolute, total, eternal salvation. Life with him. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. Life abundantly. He doesn't come to take your life. He's come to give his life so you might have life. This is, just, this is what he's saying. Salvation is entirely Jesus' work from beginning to end, all of it. And at the cross, he will stretch out his arms and say, it is now finished. I have done it. I have done it. The whole point is about, it's about Christ. And we just get to receive. We just get to be served. We, just get, we get cleansed. We get healed. We celebrate. We ought to be the most celebrating people ever. But my life's hard. I know. Celebrate and worship with tears if you need be. Because it's just a moment. Why? Because it's coming. And actually, it's here. It's just your emotions and your feelings don't match with reality. It's already, but not yet. Right? Whoever you are, whatever you've done, no matter how heinous your sin, whether it's murder, whether it's infidelity, whether it's perversion, Betrayal, embezzlement, lying, jealousy, gossip, whatever. Christ can save you completely. He can heal you completely. He can forgive you completely. And he will do so eternally. Eternally. See, in a sense, Jesus posed a trick question by saying which one's easier. Why? Because both are impossible for man. I can't heal someone of paralysis, and I can't forgive man's sin. But both are, in a sense, easy for God, kind of. But which one's easier? Which one's harder? Well, actually, ultimately, to forgive sins is going to cost much more. Why? Because what it will require is for Jesus to willingly lay down his life and receive the wrath of God in our place. So it's actually much harder to forgive sins. He will drink. He did drink the the cup of God's wrath in the place of sinners in order to, to cleanse us, in order to heal us. Um, 
write this note down, 1 Peter 2.24. And later on, I want you to spend some time thinking about this sermon. Forget the sermon. I don't care if you think about the sermon. Think about the text. Think about this text. And then think about you and think about Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24. Listen to what it says. He himself, Jesus, bore. And, And in that moment, I want you to write your name. Right? Scott Rising's sins. In his body on the tree. That, I want you to write your name again, Scott Rising might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, I want you to write your name. I'm going to say my name. By his wounds, Scott Rising, you have been healed. I want you to think about that till you die. I just want you to marvel at God's saving grace. Now, now, don't write that if you've not trusted in Christ for your salvation. Why? Because you're still dirty. You're still unclean. But can I just tell you, today's a great day to get saved. Today's a great day to just come and receive forgiveness of sins. To receive Christ. To confess that you have rebelled against him. To, to, to say, God, I, I am desperate. I need you. I need forgiveness. I need salvation. I need to be made whole. I need you. Oh, he loves that prayer. He just loves that prayer, and he will, he will forgive your sins. The question becomes is, see, the gospel, the good news, right? Jesus can heal any disease, any hurt, any disappointment he pleases. He can He doesn't always on this side of eternity, but he can heal. But the greatest miracle that Jesus has ever done is one that's eternal, and that is he has forgiven sins of all who have called upon him. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have your sins forgiven. The question becomes, as have you heard Jesus say to you, your sins are forgiven? Not audibly, but by faith. Have you heard that? Oh, and if you have, (coughs) brother, sister, It's the greatest news ever. It's the greatest news ever. And so I know we're way out of time, and that's okay because I'm going to finish here. If so, then you and I must love the people around us with a tenacious love and faith that's willing to rip roofs off people's homes to get them to Christ. So many people want to make Christianity about me. And, and so now I'm saved. I guess I just sit around and watch VeggieTales and wait for Jesus to return. The world needs your good works. See, God doesn't need you to serve him, but this world needs you to serve them. Will you willingly lay down your life so that they might have life? That's really the question. See, we have a posture here at For the City Church that whatever it takes to get our unchurched and dechurched, sinning, heading to hell friends to Jesus, we'll do it apart from anything that might dishonor Jesus. But that's what we're about here. You're like, well, what about programs that are going to fluff up my little fur? I guess sheep don't have fur. They have wool. Get around some people who will love you. Because we still need healing too, even though we've come to Christ. And let them speak words of life to you. Let them pray for you. But we will not have programs focused on the Christian. Not primarily, unless it's about equipping and going out. We gather to scatter. 
well, I want to be a consumer of religious goods. Go somewhere else. I don't mean that to be rude. It's just this is what, it's what the, so many do. You create this Christian subculture. People are on a mat, paralyzed, can't get to Jesus. They're worse than paralyzed. They're dead. They're spiritually dead. And if you and I won't grab a corner of the mat and bring them to Christ, who will? Well, that other church. No, they won't. They won't. They won't. Now, here's the beauty. God saves his people. But do you know how he does that? Through his people. Through his people. It's his plan. Could he come up with a better plan? I don't want to say that God's plan wasn't the best. It was the best. I think he probably could have come up with some that would have been a little more effective. But it gives him glory to see broken people who have been healed and cleansed just bring more broken people to come to be healed and cleansed. And we'll, we'll celebrate together as we glorify God. Will you join in that work? See, so many of you, as I look at you right now, you've said yes. Thanks. Thanks. We need so many more laborers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And guess what his means of supplying that answered prayer is? People get up off the mat and then they say, I'm going to join the work. You are the answer to the prayer you're praying in that moment. That's what's amazing. Will, will, you wit, will you risk being judged as a fool in efforts to win people to Jesus? That's the question. We're almost done. See, see here's the deal. There's two great obstacles to this. Ready? First one. Um, most people that, actually, let's just say all people that are not trusting in Christ have no desperation. Why? Because they're spiritually dead. This is the great tragedy of our culture. They're so comfortable today in our culture. What are they comfortable with? They're comfortable with the fact that they don't even want to think. They can't accept they're not acceptable. Of course God loves me. You know why that happened? Because people twisted the word of God. And they just kept going around saying trite things like God loves you. He does love you. He does. I can say that to any sinner with full good conscience. He loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you because you're a rebel and deserving wrath. <laughs> we don't say that. So we have care bear Jesus, right? And so they're, they're not uncomfortable. They're never surprised Jesus loves them. Well, why wouldn't he love me? Gosh darn it, I'm pretty cool. So there's just no desperation. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to say that what you're doing is an offense to God. We don't want to say that. Well, they might be turned off of Jesus. They're not turned on now. They want nothing to do with him. So there's just no desperation. They can't see that they're sin sick. And you and I can't make them see it. Now you could get your billboard and go up by the courthouse and say, God hates sinners. That's a true statement, actually. He also loves sinners. And if you understand the cross, you get both. But better yet, it would be so much better if you spent time with them and trusted that the word of God is powerful and shared the gospel with them and trust God to do a miracle in their heart because that's what they need. That's what I needed. I needed a miracle of sight to see I'm not worthy. I need, I need God to cleanse me. I need him to save me. That's one problem. Second problem is religion. I'm using that in a negative sense. Religious folks are so concerned with being contaminated by lepers or sinners, but, but do not care about lepers or sinners. 
They're just, they're just concerned you might get a little on me, right? So they, they don't carry rocks. They just toss things out on Facebook. That's easier, right? They just toss it out on Facebook. They just say things, you know, well, these really bad people just need, to, they just need to repent. Yeah, so do you. We agree. And so they just keep everybody at arm's length. I would invite sinners to my house all day long. Yeah, you don't know any. Why? Because you only hang out with the clean people. It's the grossest sin of all. If Christ followers care about the physically sick and the sin sick, then you and I, my friends, listen, must risk contact with them. And bring, in order to bring them the healing hope of the gospel. And this is where we end. I want you to remember this. The way to stay away from sin is not by staying away from sinners. It's by sticking close to Jesus Christ. See, I, 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 there are certain places I shouldn't go and don't go. Maybe someone else can. But I can tell you right now, alcohol has never been a thing for me, so I can go to a bar in hopes of bringing the gospel to someone. Others can't, and they shouldn't. But I can just tell you right now that the closer I get to Jesus Christ, what the world has to offer me is not exciting at all. It's, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. That's why I never understood when Christians say, remember the good old days, and what they mean is when they were rebelling against God. I don't remember the good old days. I only remember life being so hard without hope of resurrection. Now, ready, ready, life is still so hard. It's just hard. But I have hope. I have hope. See, you come to Christ, and it's not necessarily all your problems get resolved, but your greatest problem is resolved. Your greatest problem is the wrath of God is gone for you. Life is still really hard. But, but there's hope. Why is there hope? Because Christ is coming back, and he will make all things new. Let's make it all new. And what do I want to do until then? I just want to tell people, say, come. <laughs> oh, there's some living water. Come and drink. He loves to save people. He loves to make them clean. He loves to work in and through them. Will you receive? Because that's what we're doing. That's what we're talking about. Should have made that two sermons, but man, can you see why I didn't? I have about 40 more hours to go if you want to hang out with me today. Um, <laughs> then I will collapse. But praise God that he loves to save sinners like me. Praise God that he loves to save sinners like you. If you haven't received Christ, what are you waiting for? Receive him. If you have, let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. I ain't got eight days with you, but we got an afternoon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. And Lord, we thank you that you do indeed love to save sinners. <laughs> oh, man, it's such a good thing that you've just set the table, so to speak. And you've invited us to come. You know, you could, I can always picture us. We're missing teeth. Some of us need to floss. Some of us need to brush. But you say, sit down at this table. Eat, drink, be merry. Why? Because you're mine. And I've done everything to make it so. So be of good cheer, my friend. Oh, you're a good God. And good does not describe your, your greatness. How Truly majestic and beautiful you are. 
And so, Lord, forgive me for my stammering tongue and not sufficient words. But, Lord, I just pray that you would increase the understanding of how much love you have for us. And it's not because we're lovable, but it's because you're a God of great love. And you have done everything to make us lovable. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. We ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.